tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 88, and today we are talking about books released on January 3rd, 2017. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello and happy new year. Happy new year. How nothing's are really, you? Nothing's changed, really, in the last few yeah. days, other than the date, the calendar I feel, year. I feel lighter now that 2016 is behind us. Yeah, it's definitely like... Even just symbolically, it's, it's you know, a, a good thing, like turning that new year. Yeah, it's arbitrary, but it makes me feel better. Like 2017 is going to be its own can of worms, I'm sure. But it feels nice to have put away one can of worms. Maybe they'll be gummy worms. Maybe. That would be nice. Or those, those nice sour ones with the sugar yeah. on the outside. Yeah. They'll probably be sandworms. <laughs> Just right be, up through the house. <laughs> it's going to be like trimmers all yeah, up everywhere. Beetlejuice. But right now on January 2nd, it's nice. I feel fresh. Yes. Um, I'm in the middle of my fourth book of the year. My, oh, like, hey. I get so excited to turn my reading count back. Like at the beginning of December, usually every year. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to start. <laughs> so I read can- the Cannibal book. Like, first, like I said, I was going to on the Obviously. last episode. It was fantastic. <laughs> I just kept, like, telling my boyfriend things, and he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, this is so great. Um, and uh, do you have reading resolutions? Like, I usually only say I want to read as much as I can because, you know, things happen, things get busy. Every once in a while, I'll be like, I want to reread all of Kurt Vonnegut or, you know, Ag- and that never happens. Like, I mm. never do it. I can never reread things. Um, but this year I want to read more than I've ever read. Like I'm oh. going to do it. Like I'm, I'm throwing that down. So. Okay. Uh, I don't usually set super specific ones. I used to set like, a, I want to read a hundred books in a year. And I think I've said before that I, after I started tracking, I discovered that I kind of read around a hundred books in a year, no matter what, like there's not much that I can do to tweak that. Adding in audiobooks has bumped my numbers up a little bit, but I don't really care about the number. I, I like the, I'll try to read as much as I can. Um, in an app I put on my phone for task tracking and like reminders, I can give myself points if I spend an hour each day reading. So that's the thing that I strive for. It doesn't always happen. Um, On a really good day, I get like 30 minutes in the morning and at least an hour in the evening. And that feels really good. So I'm going to keep, you know, trying to incorporate that into my reading life because it makes me a happier, nicer, 
person. Um, and then to just continue on some of the things that I focused on for the last few years. So a couple of years ago, I set a goal of having at least a third of the books that I read be written by people of color um, in sort of in parity with the percentage of the U.S. population that is not white and to have more than 50% of the books that I read be by women. And I've met those goals the last couple of years. Um, so I'm going to continue paying attention to that and um, wanting to incorporate other kinds of inclusivity into my reading as much as I can. Um, it's more difficult to find or to know necessarily if you're reading a book by like an LGBTQ author, um, unless, you know, they're out on the book cover um, or by an author who has a disability. But I want to be, you know, reading more um, books by more different kinds of people and that it have characters that have all those different experiences as well. So I'm going to be focusing on that, um, paying attention to it, because I find that I can change things more effectively if I pay attention and track them. But I don't have a, a hard and fast number set for those. Just, you know, something that I'm keeping top of mind. Those are good goals. Yeah. I want to read more nonfiction. It. Somehow mm. I was so fiction heavy this past year. So you're good at reading lots of nonfiction. Yeah, I, I like I like a good mix. I usually have a fiction and a nonfiction going at, at most times. Maybe so. I should try that. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, it's a nice balance. Like I tend to do the nonfiction for the 30 minutes in the morning. And then because my brain seems to like information better at that time of day. And then later in the day, when I have the headspace to be in a fictional place, I'm a little bit more awake. My theme so far this year has, seems to be murder. <laughs> Everything I've read is like murder, well, murder, murder. Well, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> That's where my head is these days. Uh, I am going to finish my first book of the year this afternoon. I haven't quite finished one of the books I'm going to talk about on the show, but it's been great all the way through, so I feel good recommending yeah. it. But I'm going to finish it in a hurry this afternoon before my e-galley expires. Oh, I know. That's kind of fun, though, like the race it's against stressful. the clock. I know. I like it. I was like, Bob, you have to make plans this evening because I have to read 150 pages yep. today. <laughs> Sorry, I'd love to talk to you, person who pays the rent, but I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my story, not yours. <laughs> oh, look, we all have priorities. And so we have a bunch of good books to talk about today because we're in a new year. Yes. Before we get started, I just want to quickly talk about show notes. Yes, let's um, do that. There were uh, several people in the last few weeks who have reached out to me asking about show notes, like why they can't find things in the show notes and where can they find the show notes. So I just wanted to remind listeners that you can go to bookriot.com slash all the books and find a list of all the podcasts we have done, all 87, soon to be 88 of them. And in each one, there is a list of the books that we talked about, plus a list of other books that came out that day, um, plus a picture of the squirrel from last week. So... <laughs> Um, if you're looking for them, that's where they are. Yes, I have the shade down today because I don't. I don't need any more squirrel interruptions. <laughs> I have. I have myself. It's, it's a fascinating life that we live. <laughs> We're going to have livestock interruptions on my side. I think um, it's a rainy day here in Richmond, and poor Millie, the book riot basset hound, is not such a fan of the rainy days when she can't go outside. So I have dog like pacing and or snoring behind me so please be patient if you <laughs> <laughs> if we get any uh, color oh. commentary from the four-legged members of the team that's so sad it's so beautiful here it's like 45 and super sunny oh i oh. love a rainy day but i think she's just having a hard time so she's yeah. gonna hang out with me and hopefully it'll be all right rainy days always bring her down they do rainy days and mondays <laughs> 
Well, I'm going to... Oh, it is Monday, too. Mm-hmm. It's a double whammy for the dog. Um, I'm going to start talking about books now. How about Let's that? Let's do it. Yeah. That sounds good. Because I've been waiting to talk about this book. The first book I'm going to discuss this year. It's amazing. It's called History of Wolves by Emily Friedland. It's been being buzzed about... I think I picked it up at BEA last year. I mean, it's, everybody's been talking about it forever. It is one of the most powerful debuts that I have read. It's so fantastic. It's about a 14-year-old girl named Linda, although her classmates call her commie or freak. Uh, she's living with her parents in northern Minnesota. Her parents used to belong to a hippie commune um, near where they live now. Uh, she's, she says at one time she doesn't even actually know if her parents are really her parents or just the people that left with her. Um, she's now a teenager, and her parents had left the commune. Um, but they're not doing so well. They're extremely poor. Uh, winters there are incredibly cold. They have to wear their coats inside, and they don't have a lot of electricity. They have a generator going. She's living a hard life, um, but she just desperately wants to belong. And one day in class, something horrible and exciting for all the students happens. Their history teacher dies, like, in the middle of school. Um, oh. And he is replaced—it's the first time she's seen a death— um, he is replaced by another man, Mr. Grierson. And she, Linda feels very drawn to him— and he asks her to do a special project, um, represent the school in a uh, extracurricular activity. Uh, I can't exactly remember what the competition was, but it's about history. And so she talks about wolves. Um, that's where the title comes from. But she feels really drawn to him. Um, and then later on, uh, he gets fired. There are rumors that he has had inappropriate contact with another student. Um, and then that leads to them finding child pornography, and he gets oh, fired. No. Um, and she, fe Linda feels like there's kinship with the girl who was the student in question, and she decides to, like, keep an eye out for her because now she's sort of an outcast, and where she was once one of the popular students, this student is now, like, being shunned by her peers and broken up with by her boyfriend, and so she's been keeping an eye out for this girl, Lisa, and around this time, a couple moves in across from Linda and her family, um, across the lake. They live on a lake, and... The father of the family is a scientist who's hardly ever home, and the mother is his editor, and she works, uh, you know, researching his book for him and taking care of their young son, Paul, and Linda ends up being the babysitter for this boy, and it turns out that his mother is, is very lonely. You know, she's kind of young, and she's just left behind with this child, and the father is off, you know, doing all these amazing things. Um, and, and Linda ends up getting drawn into their lives and some of their secrets, and she's really struggling to belong. She wants to feel important, she wants to feel grown up, and she will make choices that will have serious consequences, and a tragedy will occur. Um, it's just an utterly gorgeous, devastating book. It's perfectly paced. The writing is so incredible, like, just absolutely incredible. Um, it reminded me a lot of the writing in The Girls. Like, the, I just couldn't believe some of the sentences. So fantastic. Again, it's called History of Wolves by Emma Friedland. I've had my eye on that one. It's going to have to come up soon in my pile. Oh, I love it.
Uh, before I do my first pick, I want to thank our first sponsor this week. It is Under Rose Tainted Skies by Louise Gornall. Uh, this is a young adult novel. It's about a girl named Nora who has agoraphobia and OCD. When groceries are left on the porch, she can't step out to get them. Struggling to snag the bags with a stick, she meets Luke. He's sweet and funny, and he just caught her fishing for groceries. Because of course he did. As their friendship grows, Nora realizes that Luke deserves normal. Lie on the lawn and look at the stars normal. And that's not who Nora is. So why does she find herself wanting to hold Luke's hand and wondering when he last washed them? Nora can't leave the house, but can she let someone in? You can find out more about Under Rose Tainted Skies by clicking the link in our show notes or pick it up wherever books are sold. Okay, my first pick. Why don't we just start off with heavy topics? Because that's how we roll around here. So my first pick this week is Difficult Women by Roxane Gay. It's a collection of short stories. Many of them have been published um, previously. And some of them, like if you read America's best short stories every year, if, or if you pay attention to uh, some of the online literary magazines and some of the print ones, you might recognize some of these stories. I know I did. Um, but they are stories about women and girls and the experiences that make them into quote unquote difficult women. Uh, these are experiences of violence, of abuse, of sexism, of racism. Uh, they're about aggressions, big and small. And Roxane Gay, as she tends to do, looks right at all of them. Um, and these are difficult to read at, at many points. Um, you know, one of the stories is about a woman who is the only woman and the only black person in her academic department in Michigan's North Country. And everyone that she talks to just assumes and asks that she's from Detroit. And like that is, you know, one of Gay's sort of looks at subtle racism, microaggressions. The opening story is about two young girls who are abducted and raped by their uh, captors. And then what happens to them after that? Um, and if you read Roxane Gay's Un An Untamed State, her novel from a few years ago, um, sort of the same level of trigger warning applies to the stories in Difficult Women. These are hard to read. Uh, they're troubling. They're supposed to be troubling. They are about horrible things uh, that happen to girls and women. And they're so remarkable for, uh, like, for the clarity with which she writes about these things that are... So emotional and so difficult to look at and so messy that the feelings that we have in response to these things are just so big and so messy. And Roxane Gay distills these stories down to these really sort of startlingly beautiful sentences in the midst of really, really ugly acts that she's writing about. Um, and she does this kind of singularly. I can't, I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of somebody else in contemporary fiction, maybe um, Hanya Yanagihara, who did it with A Little Life, um, who looks at these kinds of experiences that people have in the same way that Roxane Gay does and makes beautiful fiction out of really, really ugly moments of humanity. Um, I, I can't quite say I enjoyed reading it because it was just so rough, um, but it is a, a very good book. It's, uh, you work for it, but it is rewarding in the end, I think. Um, certainly not the kinds of stories that everyone will want to read. Again, all the trigger warnings apply, um, but I think a really remarkable look at the breadth of her capabilities. Um, and certainly she's a writer to be watching. It feels like she's at the height of her craft, but really she's still early on in her career. And it's kind of stunning to think about what else uh, she'll be capable of as she continues to work. So that's Difficult Women by Roxane Gay. It's an exciting year this year because we have a second book coming from her in June. Right. Hunger. Isn't that it? Yes. It's a memoir. Yes. Uh, June 16th. 
Ah, two Roxy so, books in one year is yeah, a good year. It's pretty good. Two Adam Silvera books this year. Oh. It's a good year. Uh, What's up next for you, lady? My next book is the second of three books that we are going to talk about today, written by someone named Emily. Isn't that <laughs> crazy, like, how that happened? Um, my book is called The Strays by Emily Beto, and it is the 2015 winner of Australia's Stella Prize, which is, like, the biggest literary prize you can win there. Um, and it's coming out here. It is narrated by a woman named Lily, and as the book opens... She has received an invitation to attend an art opening from her estranged friend, Eva. And we find out that she has not spoken to Eva in over 30 years. There was a tragedy. Um, she's still in contact with Eva's sister, but she doesn't, she doesn't talk to Eva. Um, and the artist in question who is holding the art opening is Eva's father, Evan. He is a painter. And after we learn this, the story rolls us back four decades to the 1930s in Australia. And it's when Lily is a young girl, she meets Eva and her sisters, the Trentham sisters. There's Bee, Eva, and Heloise. Um, their parents are Helene and Evan. And they live this bohemian lifestyle on this giant estate that once belonged to Helene's uncles. Evan, as I said, is a painter. He paints very much like Hieronymus Bosch. Bosch is his influence. Mm. But he has the personality of Jackson Pollock, which is problematic. Um, Lily falls in love with the family immediately. She's an only child. Um, her parents don't have a lot of money. She lives a sort of boring life with her mother and father. They're very strict. So she just falls desperately in love with this family immediately. Um, the girls themselves are really just one step up from feral. Like I said, they're living this sort of bohemian, lax lifestyle. There's no parenting really going on. Um, the community is quite disapproving of of the Trentham's. Lily's parents are disapproving of the Trentham's, but they still let her go over there. And as the years go by, Lily becomes sort of like one of them. She stays there all the time. She's like the fourth sister. Um, and the family, as the years go by, take in more strays. There's several other painters that come to live there. And it sort of ramps up the drugs and drinking and sex, as well as the neglect of the children and the fighting and screaming going on at, at the house. Um, Evan becomes more unstable and drunk and irrational as the years go on. He's trying to assert himself as the best painter of the group and as the alpha male. Um, and eventually tragedy tears the family apart. It's so beautiful, though. This I loved this novel. It reminded me of Lily King mm -hmm. or Jennifer Vanderbees. Um, I love them. And it's just a, it's a great novel of history and friendship and art and love. And it's messy and it's heartbreaking and it's wonderful. It's called The Strays by Emily Beto. Nice. I don't have a segue, so I'll just move right along. Uh, my next pick is Letters to a Young Muslim by Omar Saif Gobash. He is the ambassador of the United Arab Arab Emirates to Russia. Um, really impressive and accomplished man. He speaks like half a dozen languages. He's lived and worked all over the world and in many, many cultures. And he started this book as letters to his sons uh, about what it is to be Muslim in today's world. Uh, what does it mean to be a good Muslim? How do you know which voices and leaders to listen to? What do you do in response to Islamophobia? Um, how do we, uh, how do they as Muslims make sense of uh, how they experience Muslim uh, culture and their identities versus how 
Muslim culture and identities are presented in the media? What do you do to cross that divide? How do you know who's telling the truth? Um, these are really deep and thoughtful letters. Clearly, you know, at some point he decided to write them to the public um, and not just to his sons and to share them. And at that level of thought is really apparent that he's he's considering this book won't just be read by my sons. It won't just be read by other Muslim people. This is going to be read hopefully by many people. Um, and so it's, it's deep and thoughtful. It covers a lot of ground. Um, some of it was unfamiliar. Some of the ideas that he's talking about, the pieces of Islam and of Muslim culture were unfamiliar to me, will probably be unfamiliar to many Western readers. And so it's an opportunity to learn about this culture that is presented and misrepresented and, you know, sort of all over the place. You can't go a day watching the news without hearing something um, related to the Muslim world or to Islam or to ISIS. And he's attempting to put these things in context and to, you know, ask big and important questions about it, but also to guide the next generation of Muslims who will who will shape the world. Um, and it's really, really fascinating. It's a reminder, it was to me, of the variety of experiences and identities that people have within these large cultures. You know, of course, course, Muslims are not a monolith. Um, one of the largest group, uh, you know, organized religions uh, with the most practitioners in the world, but there are so many shades and different uh, perspectives within that. And he is talking to his sons and to the world at large through this book about um, understanding those and attempting to, uh, to reconcile Islam as a religion of peace with some of the violence that is conducted in the name of that same religion. Um, and in the bigger picture of this, it's about the questions and the struggles that are inherent in the formation of any identity connected to a particular culture or a set of beliefs. Um, I thought it was, it's really good. It's just a really good book. Um, and I think I can only say it was useful for me. I know that I am not the intended audience um, for this book. I hope that it would be useful and interesting to people who are coming um, from the same culture as the author and, um, you know, that he succeeds in his mission. I can't say uh, if he succeeds in his mission of uh, opening up these questions for readers who share his uh, his experience. But I found it to be really eye-opening and very thoughtful. And so that's Letters to a Young Muslim by Omar Saif Gobash. I have no segue. We're, we're all over the map today. But, we are. This It's a very yeah. all the books way to start this year. But my next two picks are, are quite light. So I'm going to like take it easy. It's we're, we're skipping gears here. Skipping okay. gears? Changing gears? I don't know. Whatever. Something like that. Um, my next... We should stay away from gear-related metaphor. <laughs> okay. My next book is called We Were on a Break by Lindsay Kelp. It is very light and fun. If you're looking for a palate cleanser to 2016, this is the perfect book for that. Um, we were on a break, of course, famously, Ross's line from Friends when, when things go terribly wrong with him and Rachel. Um, and like I said, this is just really fun and light. It's about a couple of names, Liv and Adam. They are in their early 30s. They seem to be the perfect couple. They are on holiday. I can say holiday because it's British, so she uses all these fabulous words instead of vacation, which is just boring. Um, they're on holiday in Mexico. And what Adam doesn't know is that Liv knows that Adam is planning on proposing to her while they're on vacation. Liv's best friend also happens to be Adam's sister-in-law, who cannot keep her mouth shut and told Liv that Adam's going to pop the question while they're on vacation. Now it's the last day of vacation. He hasn't asked her yet. 
she's stressed out of her mind. She doesn't understand, like, why he hasn't done it. She thinks that, like, tonight's the night. It's their last night together. It's going to be perfect. She buys a fancy dress. But all signs point to no. And things do not go... Things do not go well. Um, And Adam does not end up proposing. The book is told... Each chapter is told from his side and from her side. Um, So things were horribly wrong. She knows that he has not proposed to her now. So she's upset, but she can't say that to him. He doesn't know that she knows. Um, so they end up going home in the morning. They have a big, big fight on the airplane while everyone watches. And it culminates in him telling her maybe they should take a break. Like when he drops her off that night. He's like, maybe we oh, should no. take a break. So the next day, you know, she's upset. She's, you know, she's like, oh, we said you should take a break. Her friends are like, oh, no, that means you're breaking up. So she's like, did he mean that we're breaking up? Meanwhile, he wakes up and he's like, what did I do? I should just fix this. But things don't go exactly how he plans. And it turns into a longer break and a longer break and a longer break. And it's beginning to look like they're never going to get back together. And it's just this like comedy of errors and like all this craziness happening. Um, Will they get back together? Should they get back together? It's just, it's really sweet and funny there are a couple times that i you know snorted out loud a couple of great jokes and it's like (laughs) about misunderstandings and relationships and real truths about relationships like how sometimes you just want that person to get out of your face it's nothing personal but you know you just want to be alone and and like all the little things that you know build up and the resentments and the misunderstandings um it's it's really funny though i really enjoyed it um it reminded me of wendy holden if you've ever read her i think i read all of her books Mm -mm. like a dozen years ago. Very Bridget Jonesy. Uh, again, it's called We Were on a Break by Lindsay Kelk. Yours all sound good this week. They are all good. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you about something else good. Our Please next do. sponsor. It is The Hundred Lies of Lizzie Lovett. Uh, in it, I will tell you what it is about now. And I'm not going to say gears. Uh, <laughs> Hawthorne Creeley doesn't fit in, and that was before she inserted herself into a missing persons investigation. She doesn't mean to interfere, but Lizzie Lovett's disappearance is the most fascinating mystery their town has ever had, which means the time for speculation is now. So Hawthorne comes up with a theory way too absurd to take seriously at first. The more Hawthorne talks, the more she believes. And what better way to collect evidence than to immerse herself in Lizzie's life? It might just be the push Hawthorne needs to find her own place in the world. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know if that noise was appropriate for there. I just felt like making it. Sure, why not? That's a fun noise. (laughs) So they call this novel a genre blender. It's a coming-of-age story wrapped in a mystery with a dash of magical realism. It just sounds super, super fun. Um, You can visit the author's website to learn more about it. It's www.chelseasadotti.com, or you can find her on Twitter at C-H-E-L-S-E-A-S-E-D-O-T-I, Chelsea Sadotti. And yeah, I have I actually have that in my stack. I'm going to be reading it very uh, soon. I'm excited. Well, they just took uh, they just took Murder She Wrote off Netflix. So if you need what? like a scrappy woman solving mysteries in her small town, this is a good way to fill that hole in your life. Awesome. Yeah. What do you have next? I have Idaho by Emily Ruskovich. Emily. Uh, this is. 
the one that I haven't quite finished yet. It is, it's so, it's so good. It is so good. Um, so long story short is that I started reading it over the weekend when Bob was having a tattoo session. He was having a sitting and I was like, I'm just going to start this novel and see uh, if I like it. And from the first couple of pages, I was completely gripped. The writing is incredible. Uh, here, The story is about Anne and Wade. They are a couple in sort of their early middle age. They live in this rugged, wildernessy community in Idaho. Um, Wade has early onset dementia and Anne is his second wife. She is putting together the pieces of a tragedy that occurred before they were together uh, when Wade was with his first wife and his children uh, who are no longer a part of his life. Uh, The book is told in multiple points of view and it's this it, it is just so beautiful. Wade's condition is so heartbreaking and how it appears in his and Anne's lives is striking and it's sad and it's frightening. And Emily Ruskovich takes those things and approaches them directly and approaches this terrible thing that happened in Wade's life before Anne was part of it, uh, just goes right to it, but approaches it with such great tenderness and this really like I'm struggling to describe it. It's really like gentle kind of observation um, about, uh, you know, what it must be like to be Wade, but also what it is like to be Anne um, and to have all these questions about her husband's life that either he can't or won't answer for her, um, to see her husband forget himself and forget her. Um, It's really scary between them when he gets angry at her and is not himself when he is sort of in the grip of the dementia for a moment. And those are just terrifying bits of the story. Um, the tragedy that she's unraveling, sort of the mystery that that is at the heart of the book, um, is interesting to start to sort of take apart, but it's really the humanity of all these characters that makes this book really remarkable. Um, I'm saying remarkable a lot this episode, but I've been reading a lot of things that are deserving of it. Uh, It's so, so good. I wish that I could just ignore the world a little bit more and have finished it already, but I have no doubt it's going to finish strong. Uh, So again, it's Idaho by Emily Ruskovich. I haven't read it yet. I was going to read it and then you said you wanted to read it, so I didn't read it. And now I'm going to read it. You should. Yeah, I have it. I'm excited. It's good. Um, it's like it's like quiet, but it hits you over the head at the same time. I, I don't know. I, I need people I don't to know, read Idaho. it so that we can all together try to articulate it. <laughs> well, so my last pick is actually a book that came out several months ago. I read it oh. over my Christmas vacation. Um, I did read some other things for the show today, but... Mm, <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about those. Um, but I did read this one, and I thought it was really fun. And there's a second one coming out soon, so I thought I would talk about it. It's called The Progeny by Tosca Lee. Um, as I mentioned before, a couple episodes ago, I think, um, I've been inhaling Penny Dreadful. I watched, like, all three seasons on Netflix recently, um, which is, like, this sort of Dracula, Satan, werewolf, Jekyll and Hyde, Frankenstein, Dorian Gray mashup set in Victorian England. Um, so it rang a lot of my bells. Um, I'm obsessed with historical murder books right now, so please treat me your historical murder books recommendations. I am here for those. Um, and there's a scene in it that has one of the witches in the story bathing in blood, um, <laughs> which is what reminded me of Elizabeth Bathory, the blood countess. When I was a ghoulish teen, as opposed to a ghoulish adult, I went through a whole vampire phase, and that led me to her. She was a Hungarian countess, in the late 16th century and early 17th century, 
who supposedly murdered 650 young women and bathed in their blood. Um, yeah. So, it's, you know, like you do. And it led me to looking up uh, new Bathory books. Like, I'm like, oh, I haven't read one in a while. So it led me to this, The Progeny by Tosca Lee. It's about a young woman. It's present day. She wakes up in a cabin in Maine. She has no memory. She doesn't know who she is. Um, there is a person there with her who explains to her that she's basically eternal sunshine to her brain. Like, oh, uh, like on purpose. It's a voluntary thing. Um, and she's, you know, she's got this note from herself that says, you know, don't ever come out of hiding. Don't let anyone know where you are. Stay off the internet. You know, you are a danger to your friends and your family and whatever. Um, but whatever it was that she wanted to forget, whatever she is hiding from catches up with her and finds her in Maine. Um, and now she's on the run. She doesn't know who she is, so she doesn't know who she can trust because she doesn't remember anyone. She keeps meeting people who are like, oh, I was this to you, and oh, I was that to you. But were they really? Some of them, not so much. Um, and what she does learn is that she is a descendant of Elizabeth Bathory, the Blood Countess. And for hundreds of years, the offspring of the families of the murdered girls have been hunting Elizabeth's offspring, trying to end her bloodline. So now she's trying to stay alive and just figure out what it is she wanted to forget so she can remember and fix everything. Um, it's it's really fun because there's like a little supernatural aspect to it. Some people have some certain powers. Um, it's been a really long time since I've read like a really fun supernatural story. Um, it's funny and twisty and romantic and you can read it in like two seconds. It goes really fast. And like I said, it's the first of two books, which I would have been really upset about if I didn't know beforehand. Um, this one ends with a gasp. So... Um, and if you want to learn more about Elizabeth Bathory, I highly recommend you read The Blood Countess by Andre Kudrescu. Um, it's full of amazing writing and really, really, really serious smut. Um, so yeah, again, it is The Progeny by Tosca Lee. All right, my last ones are sort of an unrelated one-two. The first is a shout-out to Battle Hill Bolero by Daniel Jose Older, which is out today and is the third book in his Bone Street Rumba series. We've talked about his books a bunch on the show, and so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this one, but I love this series. Uh, it helps to read them in order, but you don't have to. And if you like urban noir and supernatural stuff and badass characters who talk like real people and are hilarious, uh, you will enjoy Bone Street Rumba. So Battle Hill Bolero is, again, the title of the third one, which is out this week. But um, if you have not started it, pick up Half Resurrection Blues first and do that. And then my last 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 pick is one that I was hoping to have read for this week and just didn't quite get to so I'm going to read it soon. It's Enigma Variations, a novel by Andre Achiman. Uh, his book Alibis is my favorite collection of essays about travel and I've been looking forward to reading some more of his fiction. This is five connected stories about one man's love life across his lifetime. Uh, that's kind of all I know and the process of self-discovery uh, that he experiences through a bunch of relationships. Um, so I'm going to pick that one up soon. And I really want to read that. Yeah, I just I love him. His writing is just so elegant. Um, I'm and I actually have not ever read any of his fiction. I've only read his essays, so I'm interested to see uh, how they are similar or different. Uh, so those are our b new books this week. What's on tap for you next? Um, I have just started Firstborn by Tosca Lee, which is the second in the series. <laughs> it says it's two of two, so it might only be two books. Um, so it's the book following the progeny, which I just talked about. And I also just received, it's almost like Andrew Piper heard that Penny Dreadful wasn't on the air anymore, so he's like, hey, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to pick up. So I just got a book that is a Frankenstein, Jekyll and Hyde, Dracula mashup by Andrew Ooh. Piper, who wrote, what was it, the D. 
demonologist, I think, and a bunch yes. of other things. Um, so that is what I'm reading next. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm heavy on the murder lately. So, but that's okay. Yeah, your your books are kind of always heavy on the murder lib. <laughs> I'm not judging you. No. no. That's all right. If yeah, it wasn't I... me, it might be you. So. <laughs> Um, I am not totally sure what I'm going to read next, but I have my eye on The Futures by Anna Petoniak, uh, which is, oh, good. Uh, it's a debut novel about a young couple who moved to New York in search of success, and then they find out that the lives they dream of may come with dangerous strings attached. Uh, sounds good to me. Uh, and she's a Random House editor who now yeah. is becoming a writer. So that's really interesting. Um, so I have my eye on that one. We'll see. I'm going to finish Idaho and then we'll see what I'm in the mood for. Awesome. So that's our show this week. The first one of 2017. Very well done. Yes. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors under Rose Tainted Skies and The Hundred Lies of Lizzie Lovett. We'll have links to both of those in the show notes so that you can find out more about them. And remember, you can find the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as Liberty said at the top of the show. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you would like to help us get the year started off right and help other people looking for what we think is a pretty awesome books podcast find their way to us you could leave us a rating or review on itunes we are so appreciative of the ones you guys left us over the holidays they were wonderful and we would of course like to continue the love fest yes thank you all so much thank you for coming with us on our bookish adventures yes everyone is so wonderful and i love hearing from people um and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today we don't have the time but as we've mentioned, you can find those titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. So, all right. you ready? Mm-hmm. Happy, Happy reading! reading.